Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Red Letters Sermon Series, which looks at the teachings and conversations of Christ in the Gospels. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, Matthew chapter number 12 is where we're at tonight. And uh, as we get started, I just want to ask you if you have ever heard the saying, uh, the saying is, uh, let's meet in the middle. Let's just meet in the middle. You ever heard that? Someone say, well, can we just meet in the middle? Uh, Maybe it was a couple trying to discuss where they want to eat. I know that we've been uh, with our family and we'll be maybe on vacation or something like that. And I'll say, well, I just, I want Chinese food. And Hannah says, well, no, I want some Mexican food. And the kids are like, well, we really want want a cheeseburger. And so uh, what do we do? Well, we meet in the middle. We go to the food court at the mall or something like that. You know, uh, you just kind of meet in the middle where everybody gets their way. Maybe it was in a, a financial no- negotiation. Uh, you know, you're trying to buy something for uh, for ten thousand, and and they say, you know, or they say, well, no, we want twenty thousand. You say, well, let's meet in fifteen. We're going to meet at fifteen, and let's meet in the middle. And the whole idea of meeting in the middle is simply that let's every one of us just. Uh, let's each one of us give a little bit. If I, if I give a little bit and you give a little bit, then uh, we'll meet in the middle. But tonight what we're going to, to discover is the fact that when you come to Jesus Christ, there is no let's meet in the middle. When it comes to the Lord and when it comes to uh, two specific thoughts, number one, when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no meeting in the middle. Either you know Christ as your Savior, you received him, or you've rejected him. The second thought I want to give you tonight is when it comes to Jesus as your Lord. When it comes to Jesus as your Lord, there is no meeting in the middle. What I mean by that is every day, and uh, I'll preface that sta- the statement I'm about to say with this, there's a difference between Jesus being your Savior and being your Lord. You see, Savior says, and we've talked about this, Savior says, I know that Christ is in my life. I've put my faith and my trust in him. Uh, Romans 8, I've trusted him for salvation, and nothing can separate Jesus from being my Savior. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus can be your Savior and not your Lord, meaning he can be the one you're trusting in for salvation, but not the one that you're submitting to today. And on those two thoughts tonight, Jesus being your Savior and Jesus being your Lord, I want you to know that with God, with Jesus, there is no let's meet in the middle. It's not, well, Jesus, if you give a little, I'll give a little and you can be my Savior. Or Jesus, if you give a little, I'll give a little and you can be my Lord. No, the truth is tonight that Jesus lays down some groundwork of this. Either you are with me or you are against me. Either you are submitting to me or you are resisting me. As we come to Matthew chapter number 12 tonight, we're going to just start with one verse. It's one simple verse, Matthew chapter 12, and I want you to notice it with me, verse number 30. Matthew 12, 30, it says this. Jesus speaking, uh, he's speaking to some Pharisees, we'll see the, the scenario and the context in just a second, but Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask him to help our service tonight, and to be with our message, and to speak to our hearts. Dear Lord, I just come before you, and I thank you for the day. 
And Lord, we want to thank you as Brian prayed a moment ago. We're so thankful for the opportunity to gather uh, even online and to hear from your word. Lord, I know that you have a message for us. I know, God, that you have truth from your word that you want to convey to us. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that as we get into the word of God that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would help uh, um, illuminate our thinking uh, to be exactly what you want it to be, Lord, that we would be able to see this passage in the light that you want us to see it in. Lord, I pray tonight that you would be with my mouth and my words and my actions. Lord, I just humble myself to you. And God, I want to convey your truth tonight as you want me to uh, convey it. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help everyone watching tonight, that you would once again arrest our attention, help us to be tuned in and dialed into your spirit. And Lord, if there's someone watching tonight that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that you'd help them tonight to put their faith and trust in you. Help every one of us, Lord, to understand and see that we can't just meet you in the middle. Lord, that we have to either receive you or reject you. And then, Lord, that we choose to submit to you or resist you. And God, I pray again that you bless the word of God tonight. Speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you come to Matthew chapter number 12, we're going to find Jesus once again doing a great miracle we're going to see the scoffers or the skeptics there and the Pharisees. But then we're also going to see the Lord as he did with uh, really any opportunity he had. We're going to see him take the situation and turn it into a teaching moment, not only for his disciples and the people listening to him, but also for all of the skeptics, for all of the scoffers and everybody around that was doubting who he was. As we look at the Bible tonight, Matthew chapter 12, we're going to actually go from verse 22 all the way through verse number 45. We'll see the story taking place. And so I want you to take your Bible and notice, first of all, tonight what I'm calling an amazing scene, an amazing scene. As the story opens up in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 22, Jesus has just recently uh, been traveling. There's been, uh, he's been in Capernaum. He's been in Nain. He's been uh, across the Sea of Galilee a little bit. He's been in Bethsaida and just different areas around there, the northern Sea of Galilee, and down a little bit southern, uh, the southern area of it. But as we come to uh, Matthew chapter number 12, we find Jesus just traveling in, in an area probably near Capernaum, and he's approached by some people. I want you to notice what takes place, Matthew 12, verse number 22. It says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. And he, Jesus, healed him, this demon-possessed man, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? So here's Jesus traveling as, he, as he's in the area. And you can go read the account uh, in uh, um, Luke chapter 11, and, and I believe it's uh, Mark chapter number 3, where they both record the account that we're going to read in Matthew 12. Jesus is there. He's walking along, and on this day, we find him traveling, and there's brought to him one person. Some might believe this would have been maybe two or three people, but I think Matthew lays it out for us that this would be uh, one specific person who's demon-possessed as well as blind and dumb. Uh, someone demon-possessed that can't speak, can't see, uh, can't hear probably. And so he's going through all of this, and this man comes in and is brought to Christ, and he's deeply affected by his situation. And as Christ comes to this area, there's, it would seem, people who have a concern for this demon-possessed man. They're concerned for him. They're concerned for the situation. They're concerned for his state. And they know that Jesus could uh, perhaps heal and, and maybe meet his need. And so what we find is this man being brought to Jesus. 
And the Bible says simple, four simple words about Christ's response to this man. It says in verse number 22, and he, Jesus, healed him. So here's this man brought to Christ, and Christ heals him. He's uh, no longer blind. He's no longer dumb. He's no longer demon-possessed. He is now healed of his ailments, and uh, the, he, can, he can see, he can hear, and really his whole world is changed. He was held captive by the power of the devil. He was held captive by this physical ailment of not being able to see, hear, and speak, and yet Jesus comes, and I love that Matthew clarifies, he didn't just cast out the demon, he actually healed, Jesus Jesus healed this man completely. It wasn't just a partial miracle, it was an entire miracle. Jesus didn't just help him a little bit, Jesus helped him all the way. That's very significant, and I want you to remember uh, that statement, the statement in so much that uh, the blind and dumb both spake and saw. I want you to remember that for just a few minutes, that Jesus didn't just, he didn't just go part way, Jesus went all the way. So here's what takes place. This demon uh, is there in this man. It was that which is opposed to Christ, an enemy of God, and, and Jesus comes and speaks the demon out of the life. That which had control over the man's life, Jesus speaks it out, and this man is healed completely. And, and the Bible tells us the people had a response. What was the response? Well, notice verse number 23. It says, and all the people, they were amazed. I love the word amazed there. If you look at the word uh, in, the, in the Greek, the word amazed here, it means to be thrown out of position. To be thrown out of position or to be astonished and shocked. When I think about the word amazed, a word that kind of comes to my mind that we might use would be uh, the phrase to be jolted. Uh, maybe you've been shocked before. I know I've told stories before about uh, years ago working on some electricity at a, at a college I was at, and I was reaching over working on some electricity that was supposed to be off, and it wasn't. And I found out quickly that it wasn't off, and it shocked me. It jolted me. That's this word amazed. The word amazed is that these people, because, and, and I want us to see it, because of the actions of Jesus, the miracle, this miraculous scene, because of that, uh, the people, they were shocked. They, their, position, their position was jolted a little bit. Well, what was their position? Okay, the wording is great here. Their position before verse 22 was curiosity. Most of the people, their position before verse 22 was curiosity. But when you look at verse number 23, what is their position now? Their position in verse number 23 is almost belief. It's moved from curiosity to this is him. Notice what it says in verse number 23 of Matthew chapter number 12. We read the words, is not this the son of David? That phrase, is not this the son of David, is a messianic term referring to Jesus as the Messiah. And so all these people, their position before verse 22 is curiosity. He might be the one. Verse 23, man, this is the, is, is this the Messiah? Now they're talking amongst themselves. They're absolutely amazed at what's taking place. An amazing scene uh, for all of these people to see. 
Here's Jesus walking along. This man is brought to him. Jesus heals him completely and changes the position of many in the multitude. They move from uh, curiosity toward belief. That position is shocked. It's amazed. It's jolted into place. But I want you to notice with me that not everybody was amazed. Not everybody was jolted. I see first tonight an amazing scene, but I see secondly the attacking skeptics. I see the attacking skeptics. When you look at verse number 24, notice the response, not of the majority of the people, but of the Pharisees. Verse number 24, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth cast out, the de- cast out devils, by Beel- but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, and we'll see what his words in just a minute. Here's what the people said. They said, hey, he's not casting out devils by his own power. No, he's casting out devils by the power of the devils. You see, the Pharisees, they come on the scene and they are very skeptical. The Pharisees, they were uh, completely in doubt of who Jesus was as the Messiah and really uh, we would find later on in, in Matthew chapter number um, Matthew chapter number twenty seven and chapter number twenty eight where it says that the Pharisees delivered up Jesus for envy. We know that much of the ministry of Jesus that the Pharisees were just very envious and jealous of who he was, and so they brought much doubt to the scene. And the Scripture tells us here that he, uh, uh, these skeptics they begin to. Uh, attack. They begin to cast, uh, uh, cast doubt upon everything taking place. I see, first of all, we find them doubting his methods. They doubt how he's uh, performing miracles. Verse 24, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. They're saying, hey, uh, he's teamed up with the devil. Hey, the only way that he can do this is because he's actually on the devil's side. He's not doing this by God's power. He's serving Satan, and they're casting doubt. And, and this is something that they, they hear it, and they're thinking it. They're thinking it and talking, it, uh, talking about it amongst themselves. They're not really saying it openly and abroad to everybody, just kind of intermingled and amongst themselves. The Bible tells us this because of verse 25. Jesus knew they were thinking it, and they were just kind of murmuring that, that statement to each other. Hey, he's... Man, he's doing this because he's, he's possessed by a devil himself. He's teaming up with the devils. And so they're doubting his method. They're, uh, they're proud. They're, their pride, excuse me, it was holding them back from, from being amazed, from having their position shook or having their uh, position jolted a little bit. They're not, they're not going from uh, curiosity to belief. They're going from curiosity to envy. I mean, think about it. When Jesus came on the scene, all of the Pharisees, they... They weren't excited that there was another teacher or uh, what they would call a rabbi. They weren't excited that there was a rabbi that came on the scene and began to teach and get crowds. No, they were very disheartened by that because they began to see their crowds dwindling and his crowds growing. And so they're very jealous. They're very envious. They're very proud uh, people. And so these Pharisees come and they're very skeptical saying, hey, uh, he's not doing this except because he himself is possessed by a devil. He himself is teamed up with the devils. They, they were doubting how he did things. And really, if you think about it, not only were they doubting his, his method, but they were also doubting his motives. And this isn't on the screen tonight, but they were doubting his motives. They were doubting why he was doing it. 
weren't they? They were saying, uh, you know, he's, he's teaming up with them, that he can't do it by his own power. And also he's doing it because there's some attention needed for the devils. They doubted his method, they doubted his motives, but also we find they doubt the entire miracle. They begin doubting his entire miracle. When you look down uh, all the way, skip down to verse number 38, notice what it says. Verse number 38, it says that certain uh, of the scribes and the Pharisees, they answered some comments that Jesus made. We'll see those in a second. And they say, Master, um, we would see a sign from thee. Hey, we want to see you do something miraculous. Now, you think about that. They had just been eyewitnesses to Jesus curing a man of being blind and dumb and being demon-possessed. They had just seen a miracle. And yet, verse 38, this is the same passage, the same conversation. This is just a few minutes later, and they're asking, hey, Jesus, would you give us a sign? The crowd, they're saying you might be the Messiah. Would you, uh, would you give us a sign? Could we, could we see something? That, that, what you did a few minutes ago, that was a lucky try. Get, give it another go. That, that was just lucky. I mean, you're possessed by the devil. You, you know, do something that the devils wouldn't do. Can I tell you something about skeptics? Skeptics always want more proof. People who are skeptical, they can see the truth. I mean, uh, as one old, uh, got to be careful what I say here. As one person used to say, the truth could slap them in the face and they wouldn't see it. You probably heard that. You know, the truth, could, the truth could slap that person in the face and they wouldn't see it. You know what? That's a skeptic. They're always looking for more proof. They're always looking for more evidence. They, they had this, he might be the Messiah. The people think he's Messiah, but we need more proof. That was actually um, common among the Jews. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 22. He said the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You see, everybody has their hold up, don't they? Everybody has their hold up as to why they can't believe in Jesus. For some, for the Jews, it was, well, let's see a sign. Let's hear a miracle. Let's see him do something. For the Greek, it was, well, this doesn't really add up. This doesn't compute. Uh, let's try to get some more wisdom. Everybody has that hold up. Well, the Pharisees on this day, their, their hold up was their skepticism, their pride, and, and they come to Jesus. Hey, uh, we think you did that because you're possessed of the devil, and we actually don't even think you really did that. That was that, was, that wasn't done by your power. They doubted that miracle, doubted the method, doubted his motives. There was just a lot of doubt, a lot of skepticism on behalf of the Pharisees. They wanted that more proof. Give us a sign. And those skeptics, they, they weren't understanding who Jesus was. They weren't catching his message they were doubting him, doubting his work, doubting what he did, why he did it, who he was. They doubted his authority. Uh, the Pharisees were just in a total state of skepticism. And so what do they do? They attack him. So here's this miraculous situation, this uh, what we call an amazing scene, jolting the position of the majority of the people. Man, this has got to be the Messiah. But then we find the attacking skeptics saying, no, 
No, he does it by the work of the devil. He's possessed himself. He, he's got the wrong intentions in this, just wanting attention. And no, he actually didn't even do a miracle. It was just a lucky try. But I want you to notice tonight that as this man is healed and the skeptics attack, I want you to see thirdly and where we'll spend most of our time tonight is the answer of the Savior. The answer of the Savior. Before we really get into what Christ did, I want you to notice with me the fact that And you can study this out for yourself in all four Gospels. But Jesus had a very controversial position, didn't he? You think about it, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to do a series on Sunday mornings and uh, towards the fall of this year through the entire Sermon on the Mount. You think about everything that Jesus taught, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Luke chapter 6 records it for us. Everything that Jesus taught was very controversial. Right, the people, they were astonished at his doctrine and the authority by which he spake. So he came on the scene and he gave them things that they're thinking, man, no, uh, remember what the disciples thought? No man spake like he spoke. Uh, no man has taught like he taught. No man has the words that he has. The Pharisees said that. Uh, um, uh, Nicodemus in John chapter number three, they, no man can do the miracles and teach the way that you have taught. You have to be the Messiah. Uh, that was the common thinking. So the teaching of Christ was always controversial. But I want us to understand something, that even though Jesus spoke truth and he spoke to controversial issues, Jesus always spoke from a heart of grace and a heart of love. And I want us to understand that going into the passage tonight, because even when, um, if you went to, sorry, I'm trying to think of the passage. If you went to Luke chapter number 11, I think uh, Luke records this, and Jesus would go into some of the woes, woe to the Pharisees, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're whited sepulchers, and uh, that passage. Even that passage that to us might seem like, wow, that's very harsh words, We have to know of what Peter wrote when he said that Jesus came to seek and to save, or I mean, Luke 19, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, but then Peter said, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? Connect these thoughts. It's just this, that when Christ answered somebody or brought out a direction of, hey, you are wrong in this issue, Jesus wasn't a jerk about it, all right? He he was very gracious, and he had the right motive. Why did Jesus, I mean, the words we're going to read here in Matthew 12, why did Christ speak these words? It's because he wanted the Pharisees to get it. It's because he had a heart for them. And can I just remind you tonight that when it comes to controversial issues and things where you might feel like you are completely right and they are wrong and, uh, man, they're, they're just an idiot. If they would just listen to me, then, you know, we all can be like that sometimes. Christ was never like that. He never approached the situation just saying, man, you guys are fools. I can't believe you would. Now, there were times when he spoke bold. There were times when he, like the temple, moved in with anger that caused him and thought caused people to think about the Lord. He, He was angry, but yet without sin. But all of those were driven by the motive of, I have a concern for people. I have a concern for them to get it. And I say all of that during this corona COVID season for a purpose that, we can be very adamant. There's a lot of people out there very adamant about their position. Well, I, I think this about corona. I think this about the government. I think this. Listen, you can have your position and still speak truth with grace. 
And so I want us to have that in mind tonight as we go look at this passage and as we look at the answer of the Savior, how Jesus answered his skeptics, how he answered and brought up now a very controversial truth that we're going to see in a second. He did it out of a spirit of love for people. It wasn't out of a spirit of, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna prove you Pharisees to be wrong. It was, I want you to see truth. I want you to notice what Christ does tonight. He gives us a very, uh, what I think is a great lesson. So take your Bible and follow along. The verses won't be on the uh, screen tonight, but just to the passage of Matthew 12, 25 through 37. Matthew 12, 25 through 37. Notice what takes place. And Jesus, he knew their thoughts, the people who were skeptical, saying he casteth not out uh, demons by, by being a devil. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided. Uh, excuse me, he is divided against himself. And then he says, and how shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub, by a devil, Cast out devils, by, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But, here's the opposite. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? Verse 30, the verse we started with tonight. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore, because of all this, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Hey, everything's forgivable except but the sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words, by thy words, thou shalt be justified, and by thy words, thou shalt be condemned. I want you to go all the way back to verse number 25 when it says, Jesus knew their thoughts. So their skepticism was something that they were not advertising. We believe, and from the context here, as well as Luke 11 and Mark chapter number 3, or excuse me, Mark uh, chapter 7, I forget where it is in Mark. You can go look it up. Uh, but we, I believe that they had spoken these thoughts 
to their group, all right? We said that. They were murmuring, gossiping. Well, they didn't tell Jesus this. They didn't really spread it around the multitude. He just knew they were thinking it. So he, he knows their thoughts. Can I say I, I, I point that out tonight to tell you that Jesus, he knows your thoughts. And that's a, uh, that's a convicting thought. It's a convicting truth. But he knows your thoughts. And he actually later says that we're going to give an account of every word that we speak. But also there's other places that says we're going to give an account of every thought that we think. We're going to give an account of how we stewarded our thoughts and stewarded our words. I like how one old preacher said it this way about God knowing our thoughts. He said, nothing can be concealed from Christ. What do we think of in private when no man sees us? What do we think of in church when we seem so grave and serious? What are we thinking of at this moment while these words pass under our eyes? Jesus, Jesus knows, Jesus sees, Jesus records, and Jesus will one day call us to give an account. Man, anytime you ever come across the phrase, Jesus knew their thoughts, I think, you know, when my very first thoughts, I was like, that's so cool. That's so awesome. He always had the upper hand just to be like, yeah, I already know what you're thinking. But before we think that, we should remember he, he knows my thoughts. And on this day, he knew their thoughts. And he, knowing their thoughts, he still, with love and with grace, gives them some answers. Well, what's his answer to them? His answer to them is basically he's saying, hey, you are not getting it. You are not understanding who I am. You're not understanding my heart. You're not understanding my power. You're not recognizing that I am sent from God. He says to him, you can go read, he says, if, if I'm from Satan and I'm casting out Satan, I'm, I'm a devil and I'm casting out devils, then a house is divided. A team is split up. And a house divided against itself, a family divided against itself, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. And that's what he's teaching, that when there is dissension, when there is, uh, the phrase would be disunity, when things aren't getting together and things aren't coming together and, and moving along together, and there's that dissension, hey, nothing will stand. You think about some of the great, if you're a sports fan, some of the great professional teams that we've seen in, in history's past, a lot of those professional teams, their downfall was in they, when they began to have dissension in the ranks, when they begin to not get along. Think about families. When a family falls apart, it's usually when there's dissension with mom and dad. Uh, why? Because a family, a house divided against itself, two ends of the spectrum cannot stand. Only by pride cometh contention, right? And so we have to know, Jesus, he's giving them, hey, listen, if I'm, if I'm of the devils, and I'm casting out devils, then it's not going to last. It's not going to stand. There's no foundation to stand upon. But then notice his change. In verse number 28, he says, but here's the opposite spectrum. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then you need to know that the kingdom of God has come unto you. I am bringing to you the kingdom of God. You see, in Jesus saying this, they would have caught it right away. Jesus was simply saying, if you're wrong, I'm the Messiah, and you have a chance to believe. I'm bringing, I am giving you the kingdom. That's what Jesus was saying. It is a gift. I am the gift coming to give you the kingdom of God. If you look, I'll just give you this 
as a side thought that with dissension, we need to remember that the opposite of dissension is unity. And it's very healthy for God's people to dwell together in unity. I preached that message a few weeks ago about being better together. Whenever we read that, I, when I read that passage, a house divided against itself cannot stand or a nation is brought to uh, a desolation and every city or house divided against itself is not going to endure, not going to last. Man, I'm reminded God helped me to have a spirit of unity. And so Jesus, he speaking to them, he's saying, hey, your logic is wrong. Your, your thinking is really illogical because if a house is divided, then it's not going to stand. And one thing that's interesting is uh, verse number 27, Jesus says, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Uh, therefore, they shall be your judges. At that time, uh, there were Jews that were practicing exorcisms, trying to go around and cast out devils. One of the great accounts for us would be uh, in Acts chapter number 19. You remember the sons of Sceva, uh, um, where they come and they're trying to cast out devils. And they say, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, in the name of Paul. And, and they, they say, the, the demons say, Jesus we recognize, and Paul we recognize, but who are you? You know, you don't have that power. And so Jesus is bringing up this thought saying, hey, you've been trying to uh, uh, use my name. You've been trying to do this, but you are doing it from the wrong approach. But he's saying, I am doing it with the right approach. I am not of the devils. If you win and you actually read through the entire New Testament, just the four gospels even, and you look at every time Jesus cast out devils, he was always successful. He was always successful. There was not one time when Jesus could not cast out a devil. Man, Jesus had that authority to completely change someone's life. And that's actually what Jesus goes on to say. He's saying, hey, if I cast out by the devil's name, then the devils that I cast out, they could just come back and find a clean house. Skip down, if you would, all the way to verse number 43. Notice what Jesus says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Here's what Jesus is saying, and I, I hope you're still with me tonight. Jesus is saying this, listen, if I'm of the devils casting out a devil, then it's equal power. And so the devil that I cast out could very easily come back and find that this person's life has been changed, the house, their life is clean and swept and garnished, and they're going to bring with them more spirits, more power. But if you go back, Jesus says, you can't cast out a devil unless you, unless you first bind the devil, unless you first bind the strong man. You have to prove who's more victorious, who's more powerful. So Jesus, he's coming along and he's proving that he is more powerful than these devils. And he's, he's already done that. The Pharisees, they knew it at heart. They, again, because of envy and pride, they would not listen. And, and so in our passage, he's teaching them, hey, you know nothing of my power. You know nothing of my authority. You misunderstand it completely. I am more powerful than any strong man demon that's out there. And I will 
change someone's life. And then he comes to that statement we said in verse number 30, when he says, he that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. What Jesus is saying is, I've given you this. I've taught you these truths. You've been hearing me. If you're not with me, very simple, you're against me. There's no middle ground. To not consciously join with Jesus is to consciously reject Jesus. And he's saying that, hey, you need to decide if you're going to follow me or not. There is no neutral ground with Christ. Either you have him or you don't. This is illustrated in verse 31 and verse number 32, talking about the unforgivable sin. People ask, well, what's the unforgivable sin? The unforgivable sin, just very briefly and quickly to say, is rejecting Christ. It's rejecting the Holy Spirit. Even in the passage, Jesus is saying, hey, you can speak against me, which they did, right? Many of them spoke against Christ. Uh, even Nicodemus, who got saved, was one that, gets spoke, that spoke against Christ. He said, hey, you can speak against me and be forgiven, but you can't speak against or reject the Holy Ghost. What's he mean? Listen, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you trusted him because the Holy Spirit came and said, you need Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin. The Holy Spirit sent from God uh, to bring the sinner to repentance. But you and I have a choice when the Holy Spirit is confronting us with our sin. We can say, okay, I'll receive the Lord, or we can say, no, I reject Jesus in my life. That's what Christ is saying. The unforgivable sin is saying no to salvation. The unforgivable sin is saying no to trusting him as Savior. And he's letting the Pharisees know, hey, in your heart, you reject me, or in your heart, you receive me. Then in verse 38 and 40 through 42, those guys that were asking for a sign Jesus condemns them for not paying attention to what he says. Verse 40, he said, there's gonna be a sign that'll come. It'll be me in the tomb as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. So shall the son of man be uh, in the belly of the earth. In verse 41, he says that, um, look at verse 41, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. He's saying, you're asking for a sign. There'll be a miracle of me being in the earth three days, but you're asking for a sign. You have my preaching. Nineveh's gonna judge you and condemn, condemn you because they repented when Jonah preached, but a greater than, than Jonah is here preaching to you. Verse 42, he uh, talks about the queen of Sheba that comes up to see Solomon. Hey, she came to see Solomon for his wisdom. Behold, a greater than, I'm wiser than Solomon, I'm here. Hey, you are looking for a sign and I'm staring you in the face. And then Jesus goes into those verses we read in verse 43 through 45. What's he doing? He's helping these Pharisees and really everybody understand that you are either with the Lord or you, or you reject the Lord. There's no middle ground. It's not, well, I'm kind of, I kind of believe, but I don't. He's saying, hey, you on the outside that are at curiosity, moving from to belief, you need to just believe. You skeptics, you guys need to get your logic taken care of and understand the sign is staring you in the face. You either believe in me or you don't believe in me. And he's helping them see this. And one of the truths that he gives them in verse 43 through 40, <laughs> 
43, 44, and 45 is them saying, you know, I'm not interested in just remodeling the house. I'm going to totally renovate the house. And I think I have that here as a statement. Sorry. Uh, there's a difference between remodeling and a total renovation. There's a difference between uh, just kind of putting up a, a few pictures here and there and maybe changing the carpet. There's a big difference in that than demolitioning the entire house. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I have come to take, give you a total transformation, and you guys are missing it. You can't just turn, turn over a new leaf and be okay. You can't just uh, be with me one day and not with me the next. You can't just keep changing your opinion, your skepticism, and you on the outside that are uh, thinking about believing, hey, listen, I am the sign. I am staring you in the face. If you're with me, you're with me. If you're not, you're against me. Now, the question then comes is, what can we learn from this? As a follower of Christ, if if we know Jesus as our Savior, what do we take away from this passage? And I think there's two thoughts tonight that I want to give and, and we'll be done. The first is this. Until a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they can clean up their life as much as they want, but they will never experience real deliverance. You either have Christ as your Savior or you don't. You are either forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with God through Jesus, or you don't. There's no middle ground. It's just that passage of verse 43 through 45. You can clean it up all you want, but that which is against the, the Lord can still control you. It might not be that you're demon-possessed, but look at the demon as maybe a sin. You'll never get victory over sin. You'll never have forgiveness over sin. None of that will be yours and mine unless... We have received him. There's no middle ground. It's not, well, Jesus, I'll receive you a little bit. If you'll come, I'll come. If you'll budge, I'll budge. No. We either receive Jesus or we don't receive him. There's no middle ground. I would tell you tonight that if you are listening and, and watching tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, he came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross so that you could have eternal life. He died for your sin. He died so that you could have a relationship with God through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's only through Jesus that you and I can have forgiveness of our sin. And if you're watching tonight, and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, can I encourage you tonight to make the decision to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to be your Savior? Romans says it this way, that you should confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart. Man, you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus died on the cross for me, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and be my Savior. I'm placing my faith and my trust in Jesus and in him alone. If you're out there tonight and you've never received Christ, I would encourage you to make that decision. Make the decision. Don't put your faith in a pastor, in a church, in a baptism, in religion, in good works. All of those things are just cleaning up the house. No, you, my friend, need a total renovation. You need not a remodel. You need a total renovation, and that can only come through Jesus Christ. And it's not, well, I've been to church, so I have him. No, there's no middle ground. I either have Christ in my life because I put my faith and my trust in him, or I don't have him. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior tonight, I want to challenge you. Make the decision to receive him in your life. 
But the second thought, the second challenge I want to bring to those of us who do know Jesus as our Savior, it is this. That once Jesus is in your life, you must still make the daily choice of making him the Lord of your life. Now, I understand the passage in Matthew chapter number 12, it is specifically about receiving Christ as our Savior. That's, it's about believing in him or not believing in him. But I think that there can be an application made tonight for those of us that know Christ as our Savior in this way. When it comes to Jesus being our Lord, there is also no middle ground. By him being our Lord, I mean what I said at the beginning of the message. Every day, you and I choose who we submit to. I am going tomorrow on Friday, I'm going to wake up and serve, submit to what God would have me to do for the day, or I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, if I wake up tomorrow and I do what I want to do, is Jesus still my Savior? Yes. Yes. Jesus said, I will never, once you receive me, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So he's still my Savior. But if I choose to serve Dennis tomorrow, Jesus is not my Lord. He is not the master of my life. He is not calling the shots. He is not in control. And can I tell you, there's no middle ground. Well, Jesus, I'll let you be the Lord of my life in this area and not this area. No. He's either Lord of your life and you're, we're sur- just surrendering to him making the conscious decision to to say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, making the conscious decision to say, God, you can have that area and that area and that area. Yep, that even that secret compartment, God, you can have that. You're in control of my thoughts, my motives, my actions. God, I want you to be the driving force. We can choose to submit to him or not submit to him. And I wanna bring out this thought from our passage tonight. It's often quoted, it's very true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. For a saved, someone who doesn't know Christ, it's going to come out if a person knows Christ or doesn't know Christ. That's, that's going to come out. But it's also going to come out if I'm submitted to him or not submitted to him. You know, the days that I'm not submitted to him, those are the days that I'm a little more testy with Hannah and the kids. Those are the days that maybe I'm a little more frustrated at the staff. Oh, not that I don't get frustrated at them when I'm walking with the Lord. That happens too. I get frustrated with my family, just like you do. But can I tell you that the days that I'm not submitting to the Lord, those are the days that often people closest to us, they can say, man, he's struggling today. You know what? I don't want that, I don't want that to be my testimony. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Hey, what's on the inside is gonna come out. For the believer, if you know Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you tonight. Don't have the middle ground of, well, I'll submit to the Lord in this area and not this area. No, give him total control. Give him control of all of you every day. God, today you are my Savior because I received you, you know, 15 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, whatever the case might be. I know you're my Savior, but God, I'm choosing today to make you my Lord. I'm not just gonna try to clean things up. Lord, I want you to continually renovate my life each and every day. When you look at this passage tonight, 
I just find Jesus helping us understand specifically about salvation. There's no middle ground. We're either with him or not. If you've chosen to not receive him, that's a choice to reject him. But for the believer, there's no middle ground in submitting to him. I'm either submitting to him or I'm resisting him. I wanna encourage you tonight. Make a, make a conscious decision. Tonight as we go to the Lord in a word of prayer, God, help me tomorrow. Help me tomorrow to choose you. Help me tomorrow to choose to submit. Help me tomorrow not to have the mindset of the Pharisees of, well, I'm just gonna clean things up. Help me to have the mindset, God, that you can have a total renovation in my heart and my life. Give God permission to work the miracle in your life that he wants to work. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.